Hello, this is the Historically Thinking Commonplace book for the week of January 6, 2019. It's a week of power-shifting events and enough births of people of power. It almost makes a humble historian suspect there might be something to astrology. But first, if you listen to this and haven't subscribed to Natanda, the weekly newsletter of this podcast, you can do so by going to our homepage, historicallythinking.org, and pushing the subscribe button at the top left. And please, please, please rate this podcast on iTunes. It's a little bit more complex than it should be, but it would helps other people find this podcast and moves us up in the league tables where I think we deserve to be. First, the power-shifting events. January 6th, 1066, Harold Earl of Wessex was crowned King of England in Westminster Abbey. It was the act of rebellion against his lord, William of Normandy. At least that's how William of Normandy saw it. And it led to William of Normandy massing his invasion force. That would make him, eventually after the Battle of Hastings, William the Conqueror. January 8th, 1815, the Battle of New Orleans, Andrew Jackson and American troops, a ragtag group of regulars, Tennessee militia, and a few pirates defended themselves against a British attack, inflicted over 2,000 casualties, ruined the dream of creating a British New Orleans controlling the traffic of the mouth of the Mississippi, and with Canada controlling both ends of that river valley. Peace had been declared two weeks before with the signing of the Treaty of Ghent, but if the British had won, it's not very clear that they would have given New Orleans back. And more importantly, given what actually happened, that victory made Andrew Jackson a popular hero. And on January 8, 1959, Charles de Gaulle took office as first president of France's Fifth Republic. He had led the Free French Government in exile during the Nazi occupation of France, and following the war, he had advocated a strong presidency. But after years of political instability, in which no French government was able to stay in power for more than a few months, he intervened and took office once again, with immense consequences to come as he reformed the government of France in his image and vision. Proof that persuasion matters, January 10th, 1776, Common Sense, a 50-page pamphlet by Thomas Paine, recently immigrated English radical to Philadelphia, was published, sold 500,000 copies in America and Europe, this at a time when the population of the 13 colonies was 2.4 million. Think of that, 500,000 copies, 2.4 million people. Few pieces of writing have had its persuasive power. It influenced the population of British North America towards independence, something that had hitherto been an idea only in the heads of radicals. And speaking of radicals, in the Annals of Succession, on January 10, 1861, Florida became the third state to secede from the Union in events leading to the Civil War, and then on January 11, 1861, Alabama seceded from the Union. And now for birthdays. January 6th is the birthday of Joan of Arc, born sometime around 1412. She, visited by the saints, inspired French troops to break the British siege at Orléans, led them to several other additional victories in the Hundred Years' War, eventually captured by the Burgundian allies of the British, sold to them, tried for heresy, burned at the stake, canonized in 1920. January 9th, Richard M. Nixon, born in Yorba Linda, California, 
Vice President Dwight D. Eisenhower, unsuccessful run for the presidency, losing to John F. Kennedy in 1960, and then, shockingly, reemerged in 1968, ran a successful presidential campaign, won by the skin of his teeth in 1968, won again by a landslide in 1972, and then resigned after the Watergate scandal. January 7th, Millard Fillmore, 13th U.S. President, born in a log cabin in Cayuga County, New York, anti-Mason and a Whig, took over when Zachary Taylor died in 1850 of cholera. A remarkably effective unknown president, Fillmore suffered perhaps a greater indignity than Richard Nixon. He was not renominated for the presidency by his own party. January 11th, Alexander Hamilton, born British West Indies in 1755, soldier, lawyer, politician, political philosopher, financier, hip-hop artist. January 12th, sees the birthdays of John Winthrop in 1588 in Suffolk, England, who, in 1630, at age 42, decided to drop out, chuck the whole bourgeois gentry game, and join a group of hip Puritans emigrating to America. He was elected the first governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony and, among other things, established the town of Boston. 1729, Irish orator, politician, philosopher Edmund Burke, known for his essays and pamphlets, Thoughts on the Cause of the Present Discontents, 1770, American Taxation, 1774, Conciliation with the Colonies, 1775, and, most important of all, Reflections on the Revolution in France, 1790. And American statesman and patriot John Hancock, 1737, also born on January 12th in Braintree, Massachusetts, elected president of the Second Continental Congress in 1775, legendarily signed the Declaration of Independence in such a large signature so that George III could see it without his spectacles, although, in fact, having seen some others of his signatures, they were always large. But he went on to become governor of Massachusetts and the man who essentially maneuvered Massachusetts to accept the Constitution. But why talk about all these people when we can talk about Elvis, born January 8th, 1935, in Tupelo, Mississippi? Here's John Shelton Reed describing Elvis. The Supreme Court handed down its decision in Brown v. Board of Education on May 17th, 1954, a day that became to be known in some white segregation circles as Black Monday. It marked the beginning of the end of Jim Crow, of de jure racial segregation in the South. Seven weeks later, to the day, on another Monday, July 5th, Elvis recorded a country-flavored version of the rhythm blues hit That's All Right Mama, an act of musical integration that set the stage for rock and roll, and he knew what he was doing. He said, the colored folks been singing it and playing it just the way I'm doing now, man, for more years than I know. Nobody paid it, no mind, till I goosed it up. That spring of 1954, Elvis, like the South as a whole, took a big step into the unknown, and neither would ever be the same. But I heard a story the other day that reminded me of Elvis. It's about an old boy who was out fishing on one of our power company lakes in North Carolina when he caught an enormous catfish. He hauled it up on the dock and cut it open, and this genie appeared. I am the genie of the catfish, it said, and you can have one wish. The old boy was startled, but he pulled himself together and looked hard at the genie. Let me get this straight, he said. You mean I can have anything I want? That's right, said the genie. Anything you want. 
The fellow looked at his boat and his dock and the lake and scratched his head and said, I believe I'd like a cold beer. As I say, that story reminded me of Elvis. Here was a southern boy who had success beyond measure and wealth beyond imagining. He could have had anything he wanted, but in effect, he looked around, scratched his head, and said, I believe I like a peanut butter and banana sandwich. Elvis became a pop culture icon and, never forget, a phenomenal musical influence. As Bruce Springsteen has said, it was like he came along and whispered some dream in everybody's ear, and somehow we all dreamed it. Eventually, like all too many other Southern musicians, he became the classic hero victim, doomed by his own excesses. But my point is that he remained, to a remarkable extent, what he was raised to be in the Tupelo years, a polite and humble gospel-singing Southern boy who loved his mama, greasy food, and hanging out with the boys. As we say in the South, he didn't get above his raising, which is why so many of us who never met him feel as if we have known him all of our lives. That's John Shelton Reed, speaking of the Southern Elvis in Minding the South, published in 2003 by the University of Missouri Press. And that's the Historically Thinking Commonplace book for the week of July 6, 2019. I'm Al Zambone, right in the corner where you are. Thank you.